0: The When Dating Hurts podcast is supported by BlendJet. Big, bulky blenders are a real pain to use. But the BlendJet 2 blender makes blending a snap. I'm using mine several times a day. Convenience is the reason why. The BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It can fit into your cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. And BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. BlendJet lasts for 15 or more blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap, and you're good to go. With over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a BlendJet 2 to complement any style. Blend anytime, anywhere, with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Seriously, what are you waiting for? No other blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Head to BlendJet.com and use the promo code wendatingherts 12 for your 12% off your order and free 2-day shipping. That's BlendJet. I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This is an interview with Aaron, a remarkable survivor who lives in the Midwestern United States. Aaron and I connected through Janine Latus, the author of the book, If I'm Missing or Dead. Our interview was so full, I decided it needed to come to you in two parts. This is part one of my conversation with Aaron. Yeah, I'd just like to welcome you to the When Dating Hurts podcast. It's really a wonderful thing that you've stepped forward and volunteered to come on and tell us your story Welcome.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: Maybe start with what was your life like before you met this person who later put you into an unhealthy relationship and you can take it from there.
1: Sure. I was sort of in a unique situation in that my mother was dying of cancer and I was her caregiver from the age of 15 to 25. She passed away when I was 25. So for those 10 years it wasn't exactly a glamorous picture but close knit family really leaning on one another especially in in the face of that hardship so
0: so you were the main caregiver during that time period
1: i was i'm the middle of five children but i was we like to joke that i dated my parents i was just very very much best friends with my mom kind of gal. And I had two older sisters who went away to school. Okay. And my little sister was a social butterfly and my brother was the baby. So he was he was used to being catered to.
0: It all came down to you.
1: Yeah. And, and I caregiver at heart. It just sort of, that's where I fit. And that's what I was drawn to. So I didn't shy away from it. And my dad was all for it. And, and essentially we put that responsibility on me instead of putting her in long-term care.
0: Oh, that's so admirable. That's just so, ima- <laughs> so admirable. I can't even imagine at 15 years old, but you really was, stepped up. That's, that, that You really grew up fast, therefore.
1: Yeah. I missed out on a lot. <laughs> you had to. When I was in high school, then there were girls coming up to me worrying about, will, will their shoes match their dress at the dance? And I was like, oh, my mom was in the icu so you know like it was just a very Mm. different world Mm. that i didn't know how to relate to people very well which does come into play later in that i didn't know how to form healthy relationships or recognize them because i had been already so isolated in the cancer bubble
0: i can picture that because you have to kind of go through some things to develop coping skills Mm -hmm. and trial and error you're kind of sequestered at home and mm-hmm. you're doing a wonderful thing, but you're missing out on so much. I mean, 15 to 25.
1: Okay. Yeah. It was a very different world. That's for sure. Being able to relate to people was not something that came naturally to me. I was very empathetic, obviously, but not able to understand normal life circumstances. Guess so. I worked in coffee shops in my 20s until my mom passed away. And even after, I was a supervisor and I worked at 3.45 in the morning until 11 in the morning and then took care of my mom from 11 to 11 and then got back up and did it all over again. So I was very used to having someone to take care of basically all day long. When she passed away, there was a gigantic void.
0: That really opened up your day, didn't it? The hard way.
1: I had my own apartment, but I was never there because I was always with her so then all of a sudden i'm home by myself for a long time and oddly enough my destructive relationship he was introduced to me at my mother's funeral it, <laughs>
0: it's an interesting handoff isn't it yes tell me about that okay. yeah
1: absolutely he was You're
0: at the funeral you meet this person. yes
1: he was my now brother-in-law he was his friend in high school and i was in hyper hostess mode like, can I get you a sandwich? Can I do that? Like wanting everybody to mingle and be happy. And, uh, and everyone would look at me like your mom just died. <laughs> and I just, it was the only thing I could think of to do. But you are still at work from...
0: kind of. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. And he, he was kind of a wallflower and off to the side and didn't know anybody except my sister's boyfriend. So I was like, come, come sit by me. Come, let's... So after the service, We had, you know, a luncheon. And I was like, come sit by me. Hi. And like wanting to make that, bring him in so he wouldn't feel left out.
0: Make make him feel comfortable. Sure. That's what you did. Yes. And Ah.
1: unfortunately, I mean, it was a successful connection because two months later was my sister's wedding. And he and I were both in the wedding. He was a groomsman and I was a bridesmaid. Sure. And so it just seemed at the time like perfect timing as those things do because I just lost somebody vital to me and in walks this person who wanted my attention. And I had a lot of attention to give a lot. Yes. Because I didn't know how to not take care of somebody. And he was more than willing to step into the role of someone I needed to take care of, especially given the fact that I lived all by myself. And Unfortunately, when my mom passed away, my siblings and I did not grieve together. Some of us turned it into a competition as to who's in more pain, who loved her more, who missed her more, which just, it didn't make sense to me. And I didn't want to engage in any of that. So instead I was just kind of left on my own and left to my own devices. And nobody really wanted to spend any time with me except for this person, who I met. And I was so desperate for connection. And I had been so isolated from other friends and family because I'd been in the cancer bubble for 10 years, Sure, that he was the only person willing to come and spend any time with me.
0: During that time, because he's kind of, like you say, he's like the only lifeboat you've got. During that time before you really got to know him, did you have any concerns or were you just... You know when they say, uh, "Don't look a gift horse in the mouth." You know, you just sort of like, "Hey, he's uh, girls
1: can't be choosers kind of mentality." Yeah, he, he's
0: living and he's breathing. He he qualifies.
1: Yeah, but additionally, because he was, my now brother-in-law's friend, my sister and brother-in-law set us up and they're like this would be a great match, and mm-hmm. he was as is in the case of so many of these situations. He was very charming, very charismatic, mm. very outgoing. Mm laughed all the time he was just jovial and that was so intriguing to me because i was so sad i was so extremely sad that having somebody who could laugh and make me laugh just felt incredible Mm. and the fact that my sister and brother-in-law were the ones who initially condoned it i was like well this is again it's a sign from the universe you know like that whole mentality like
0: beautiful endorsement yeah a lot of trust is already built into this he's not somebody you just yes. met
1: right so i just there was no at the beginning there wasn't a single inkling that he was who he is yes
0: you're 25 or so you're mm-hmm. going on some version of dates
1: yes well okay we didn't we it it got strange it was wonderful because he would always come to me But then I started to notice that that meant we never left my apartment. We would watch a movie. And then what would be strange is he and I would be invited to the same place by a mutual friend or family member. And he would not speak to me or talk to me or acknowledge me the whole time we were there. But the minute it was over and I'd walk to my car, he would send me a text like, can I come over? And it was just bizarre. I'm like, are you ashamed of me?
0: When you're around other people, it's like he doesn't know you or he's avoiding
1: you. Is that right? Right. He set up this mentality in my mind that I had to win him over right from the get-go, that I had something to prove to him to make me worth his time. And it was sort of as time went on between us, it became more of a game to him. But at the beginning, I was like, well, I, I have to win him. Or I'll be all alone.
0: Now, how far into the relationship, I mean, how many days, weeks, months are we when you're starting to get this bizarre challenge?
1: I would say about a month in. Well, no, that is not true. Forgive me. I I would say we officially started dating after we went to a gathering at a friend's apartment and there were all of these other women that were flirting with him and one of the friends was trying to set him up with one of them. And he didn't say, you know, I have a girlfriend or anything like that. And I was very, very hurt. So he,
0: I guess so.
1: Yeah. So that night, he eventually, I, I was very proud of myself in that moment to say, listen, I don't want to be your secret or, you know, your, your shame or whatever. And of course, internalizing my belief that maybe i'm not pretty enough maybe i'm not thin enough all of those things and Mm -hmm. and those girls were thinner than me and prettier than me and had better hair than i did you know all of the things we do to ourselves sure so he said well fine i'll tell them you're my girlfriend if and there was always a bargaining chip
0: okay um there's a contract
1: yes i'd spend more time with you in your apartment if you had a better couch Or, you know, like, so I'd buy a a better couch, like all of these things. He just had a list of prerequisites prerequisites that I had to fulfill to be worthy of him.
0: To be in a couple, you had Mm -hmm. to go into your wallet or do something or do a double back flip or.
1: Yes, correct. And anytime, anytime, anytime he was met with the least amount of resistance from me. Um, For instance, he'd come to my apartment and. I'd have been working since 3.45 in the morning and I was tired and he would come in and sit on the couch and say, I'm hungry.
0: Get up and make me something. Yeah.
1: And I'd say, well, there's food in the fridge. And he would look at me like I had just murdered somebody. He'd say, obviously, you don't love me. Obviously, you don't care about me. Uh, what am I doing here if you don't even care enough about me to have me here? Fine, I guess I'll just leave. And he would walk out the door every time and wait for me to chase him and beg him to stay. And I always did.
0: Walk down the hall kind of slowly so you could catch him.
1: Yeah. And I would cry and say, please don't leave me, you know, and uh, he would go, well, fine, but I'm hungry. And I would do whatever he wanted. Um Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: We've gone through the, you know, get a new couch sofa deal and make me a sandwich. Or Are we still in the month to two months to three months area?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it started right away, but he had so successfully hooked me with the person who was, he was the person who was there and also starting to increase the narrative of I'm the only one who's here for you. Uh, I'm the God. only one who cares about you. And it was hard. To think of him as wrong because there wasn't anybody else around. But I also didn't have the opportunity to look for anybody else around because he was at my apartment every single day.
0: Yeah, he was monopolizing your waking hours, right? So, yes. Yes.
1: And then he created a feud with my sister and brother-in-law, which is not even worth getting into, but essentially created a feud with them that ran so deeply that they told me to choose. I couldn't fathom not choosing him because I'd be all alone. And I was so scared of the darkness that that mm-hmm. would bring with it, being completely alone after taking care of a cancer patient for 10 years. And he was constantly in my ear I'm the only one who cares about you. I'm the only mm-hmm. one who loves that you. Is so I'm cruel. the only one that, that is so you know. And I believed him because they were. In my mind, I'm like, well, why would they give me an ultimatum if they cared about me?
0: Yeah, like, that follows. Obviously, they follow don't. He's the one yes. who cares
1: about me. So he successfully drove that wedge between the little family I had left and myself. So they all just cut ties. And there were the forced, you know, family gatherings and, and things like that. My family has had gotten so small because my mom was the center of the wheel. That's what I like to say. She was who everyone was connected to. So I I tell people that we're the branch of the family tree that fell off because (laughs) nobody really talked to us anymore after my mom died.
0: Sorry, very sorry. Thank you.
1: My dad's side of the family, my dad was my mom's second husband and he adopted my two sisters and I when I was four. So his side of the family never really considered us family, unfortunately. So it was just my mom's side and they were no more. So it was just my siblings and my dad. And they were, they were like, if you're gonna be with a guy like this, we don't wanna be around you. And it was confusing because I'm like, well, you introduced me to him. You set me up with him. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out like you've known him since elementary school now he's suddenly a guy you can't stand me being with it didn't it didn't no, make it sense and you combine that with his constant reiteration of i'm the only one you know it's us against the world i'm here for you which all sounded like positive things like he's here for me us against the world all right
0: looking back at that from this point,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I mean, the word isolation keeps coming up. Is, is Do you think that's really what he was after? He just wanted to get you off by yourself and, and there, everybody else yeah. could just get out of the way?
1: Mm-hmm. At the time, I couldn't see that, but it's absolutely 100% okay. his main objective. He was a volunteer firefighter, and he was trying to get his EMT, which they mm-hmm. required. And he could not pass the test, the written exam. He failed three times. So he decided that it was my responsibility to make sure that he passed the fourth time. And that meant I would have to read his textbooks out loud to him from cover to cover and study with him and make him study guides and do practice tests every single day after my shift at the coffee shop. So I was extremely tired. I'd get home at 1130. He'd come over at noon and my eyes would be drooping and he's like, obviously you don't care about me. Obviously, you don't love me. Yeah,
0: his interpretation is so cruel.
1: And I was just killing myself, essentially taking college courses that I wasn't in and making sure he passed. One thing my family will never forget is my birthday of that year. I always went out to lunch with my grandma and he called me because I wasn't at my apartment at noon And he said, where are you? We're supposed to study. And I said, well, I I told you today is my birthday and I'm going out to lunch with my grandma. And he screamed at me and berated me and said every mean thing he could think of to make me feel like I was nothing. And that I, you know, you don't care about me. Do you understand how important this is? And I'm like, it's one afternoon that I'm asking for for my birthday. And he, he wouldn't speak to me for 48 hours.
0: He's going to really punish you for that one.
1: Yes. And I equated our relationship to like, you know, a drug where I was so addicted to it that going without it for 48 hours was absolute torture. And I was terrified that he would never come back because I went out to lunch on my birthday.
0: Yeah, that's bad.
1: Uh, And it just kind of,
0: Mm.
1: it just kind of progressed like that. There were just stupid, stupid, stupid things.
0: Did your grandmother have an opinion about him? Or did she not know him at all? I mean, did she whisper in your ear things like? uh, I hid
1: it from her. Yeah, I hid it from her just because I grew up in a very, very conservative Christian household where you don't spend time with the man alone kind of a thing. So I didn't want her opinion as far as me living by myself and having uh, a boyfriend. She knew I was dating somebody. I didn't but it started, you know, from the very beginning, the negative things I just didn't share because I didn't want anybody to tell me yeah, that it of course,
0: was bad. Yeah, yeah, you knew it wouldn't fly.
1: Right. And But the, the worse it got, the harder it was for me to recognize that it wasn't good. In the beginning, I would see these things that just shocked and appalled me in his behavior. But I was like, well, you know, I'm probably not helping because I'm hyper emotional. My mom just died in front of me and... And I'm probably so difficult to be around. I'm really lucky that he's even wanting to spend mm-hmm. any time yep. with me that I'm just going to put up with this and I'm probably making his behavior worse. And
0: you're making excuses for him and you're taking it all on you. Yes. Yes, wow. absolutely. I'm so sorry. That's tough. When he's trying to do the EMT part and you're with your grandmother, how far along mm-hmm. are we now? Are we, still, are we still in that first few months or are we kind of past that?
1: We're almost a year in okay. at that point. I'd say eight or okay. nine months. Yeah, all together we were on and off for eight years.
0: Eight years
1: before we did eventually get married. Mm-hmm. It was a Man, a constant a strong lady tug of war. It was a constant tug of war of me trying to break away and him reeling me back in for eight years, and then I it's it's tough like going through the beginning middle and end i just i don't understand how i ended up getting married (laughs) but i know i did um
0: well did you marry you didn't marry him though did you i did you did marry him yes oh i I, yes okay i didn't see that coming wow that's a that's another chapter we have to read well take it from there it's a long book i suppose it's something yeah. You, you Your story is really, yes. I'm talking with you and I just feel so empathetic. And I it's like, this has got to get better. The sun has got to come out. He's got to go away. And you deserve better days, I guess is what I'm really thinking. You know, you've done such wonderful things and you've accommodated 24-7 with mom kind of thorough. And then this guy comes along and he's mm-hmm. draining the life out of you in a whole different way. It's amazing.
1: He could see me very well as far as being that caregiver and wanting someone to fill that void and i i did i took exceptionally good care of him and up until the end of our relationship throughout the horrible things he would say to me i'd i'd have to ask him like what do you why do you want to be with me why do you love me if these are the things you say about me and he would say i love the way you take care of
0: me Uh,
1: it had very little to do with me and who i was and everything to do with how i treated him which was immaculate. <laughs> um,
0: so I'm curious about getting married. Who, who brought that subject up?
1: I, <laughs> I laugh when I think about it now. I, you know, being raised the way I was and there being a physical aspect to our relationship, I was raised that there's no sex before marriage. And if there is, there has to be marriage on the table. And if you're having sex with somebody, you obviously have to love them. So I'm like, well, then I must, I must love him because my mom told me so, you know, like that's how I was raised. According to the rule
0: book. Yes. Yes. So how long into this was the marriage part of this happening?
1: Uh, Eight years on and off. So there were times where I would.
0: When did you get married at the eight year mark? You mean
1: the relationship before marriage was on and off for eight years. And then we were married for a year and a half.
0: Okay. And how long ago were were you divorced?
1: I left in 2016, but it took 15 months to finalize.
0: Okay. That's fairly recent. So,
1: 2017, yeah, 2017 it okay. was finalized.
0: Tell me what you want to tell me about life with this person.
1: So, after I was forced away from my family, essentially, he was he was all I had but I wasn't doing well and he could see I wasn't doing well. So a great way to keep me around was to suggest that I buy a puppy. And I did. I became obsessed with this dog. This dog was everything to me.
0: Comfort puppy kind of a thing.
1: Yes. And he was really mean to the dog. Oh. I was like sheltered the dog quite a bit. And then I ended up getting another puppy so they could be friends. And it became a really a good tool for him to control me with is if you ever, because he paid for the second, second dog. He's okay. like, if you ever leave me, I get Izzy, who was a little Yorkie. I'm like, you, could, you can't take my dog. And he's like, but I would.
0: What kind of dog was the first dog?
1: A miniature Schnauzer.
0: Okay. So apartment-sized dogs, kind of.
1: Yes, tiny little dogs, and they were the loves of my life and were the best distraction ever from losing my mom. The problem with it was as they were helping me get better, and I wasn't as sad and down and dependent on him because I had these little things yeah. to take care of that were a lot more fun to take care of than he was. He started becoming more combative, more needy, m- meaner. At one point, four years in to our relationship, or almost five, I suppose, I had had it. And I asked my brother-in-law for advice. I'm like, what should I do? Because he had this affinity for whenever I was going upstairs or slightly bending over or anything like that to spank me or hit me as hard as he possibly could until I fell And he would just cackle with laughter like this was the funniest thing he'd ever seen. And I would plead with him like, why is this funny? You're causing me pain. Why is it? I don't know. His answer was always, I don't know. And it was the 4th of July one year, if I remember it explicitly, because I was, I had to move to a different apartment in a different area of town because he had begun a feud with my neighbor. Oh. And it was becoming unlivable. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was in a different apartment and uh, the Yorkie Izzy had, she had an accident on the floor. I came home and she had had an accident on the floor of the kitchen floor and I bent down to clean it up and I was bending over. So that was his chance. He hit me as hard as he could and I fell into the mess. Oh my and God. That's I was, so bad. That's so he bad. was laughing hysterically and I was, I was angry, but I was so hurt and just started sobbing, which made him laugh harder and making fun of me. And I was like, I can't, I cannot do this anymore. And so I went to um, my sister and brother-in-law's home and said, what, what can I do? Like, I, I need to be done. What can I do? And he said, cut all ties, cut all ties. And so I did, tried to, he found various ways of communicating with me and then said fine good luck try to find somebody else try to date somebody else nobody else will ever love you like me no one else will ever date you like me nobody would want you look at you you're disgusting oh god and that's that's so bad i believed him but at the same time had made a connection with somebody i went to high school with and i was like it's a sign he was wrong. Somebody else does want to date me. And I tried dating him. And then this person said, I'm sorry, I have to focus on my career, which I took to be. I'm hideous. I'm horrible. I'm unlovable. Nobody would ever want me. And I, of course, believed him. And he was right there, ready to say, I told you so. And I was like, you were right.
0: Haven't you learned the lesson yet? Mm
1: -hmm. So then a few months later, we were engaged.
0: Who brought it up? Somebody had to say
1: Let's get married. I, I would ask him, you know, what are your thoughts on marriage? Do you ever plan on getting married? And he would joke, you know, like, not to you. <laughs> and, I, you know, I'd be hurt and sad. And he's like, why? You want to marry me? You want to marry me? And just make me feel stupid. Mm. I was like, well, what what are we doing? You know, you basically live in my apartment. We have two dogs. What's the plan? And I also was had that constant fear of being alone. So I wanted to know for sure, is this forever or is this a meh? He also loved the idea of marriage because that meant that he he would own me and that would be it and nobody else could get in the way. And it wasn't anything like splendid or official. We went out to eat at a chain restaurant. And then I was tired because I was still working that early morning coffee shift. And he was like, well, there's a couple other stops I want to make. And I said, can I just stay in the car? I'm really tired. And I was like, and he went into a jewelry store under the premise that he was going to get his mother a Mother's Day gift. Then he got back in the car. We drove to Walmart. And as we're walking through the parking lot, he goes, so, hey, this isn't a ring yet because they have to order it, but you want to marry me. And he handed me the receipt in the Walmart parking lot. And I was like, this, this is it. This is my big proposal. <laughs> That's it's all a, It's get. a
0: receipt for the ring. Is that what that is?
1: Yes. It was a receipt for a ring and cause he had ordered it and he put it in my name. So all the bills came to me. <laughs> So I, I bought my own engagement ring.
0: This is not a scene in a Hollywood movie. I'm sorry. It, it, this is not. No, no. I don't hear the music. It was
1: a terrible, terrible proposal.
0: I don't hear the music coming up, and I don't see the soft filters.
1: I said, "This is this is my proposal. I'm in a Walmart parking lot, and I'm wearing pajama pants. Like, is this it? Because <laughs> you know, it
0: doesn't get any better than that.
1: This this is this is it, and I." Uh, my family's reactions. I like wanted someone to be excited for me and they weren't, nor should they have been honestly, but. Um, but mostly
0: because it's him. I mean, they would yeah. have been excited if you met in quotes, right. Mr. Wright, but If it had been was, anybody
1: else, it would have been better. It could
0: have been, it could have been a crescendo, but this is, yes. uh,
1: this was a devastating moment for my family. And uh, I did break it off at one point. Um, I can't even remember for how long it was, and four
0: papers are signed or whatever you did. Justice of the peace. It mean you broke it off. Is that what you mean?
1: I broke off our engagement completely because he was cheating on me with a coworker. He said he just needed a, a backup plan oh. in case I didn't work out, and I said we're engaged. How else can it? You know, it was. It was a disaster. And so I was so thoroughly brainwashed that the idea of him cheating on me wasn't, it didn't make me angry. It made me feel desperate. Yes. I loved to write. So I had a notebook and I would write. I was having constant panic attacks because again, it, was, it felt like that addiction and I wasn't getting a hit essentially and thought I was going to die. I felt like I was dying. Yes because it had been years and years of this at this point, I was very well controlled. And he told me that I had to find a way to win him back and prove that I was better than she was. So I, I wrote in this notebook every single day, all of the reasons why he should choose me and presented him with the notebook after a few weeks. And he said, you're the only one who knows how to love me. You've proven it, and he broke up with her, and let me move in with him. Now, if you don't mind, I want to back up, because just to give you a window into his control. So when Yes, it,
0: I'd like to hear that.
1: When I had tried dating that the other person, um, <laughs> he had purchased a house.
0: Okay, now which person is this?
1: So my now ex-husband. Let's call him Charlie. We'll call okay. him Charlie.
0: Yes. So Charlie. What do you want to call the other guy? The guy that was short-lived.
1: Well, the other guy. What's really funny about that is the guy who had to focus on his career is now the man I am marrying in June. How about that? So <laughs> we came full so circle. Cool.
0: Well, he's focusing on something else. Maybe yes. it's you.
1: Yes. It It. It's an extraordinary story, but that's a completely different <laughs> I like that part of the
0: story. Realm. I
1: like that. Yes, I do too. I do too. So that's, that's Jeff. That's oh. real man Jeff. That's the love of my life. He's upstairs. Oh, wonderful. So when I had attempted to date Jeff initially, Charlie bought a house with the intention of luring me in back to him because I really wanted a house and there was a specific kind of bathroom i really wanted and he found one with that bathroom and he bought it without the ability to afford it and then needed a roommate right away and coincidentally wow. my sister and brother-in-law needed a place to live and i coordinated that knowing that there is still bad blood between the three of them but thinking maybe this will smooth it all over and everybody will be happy and everybody can get along So my sister and brother-in-law lived upstairs, and he lived downstairs of this house. And he would take it very personally when I would visit my sister and not him.
0: You'd go upstairs and you'd spend enough time downstairs.
1: Correct. And one day, it was in February in Minnesota, which if you're not familiar, is very cold.
0: I would imagine so, And
1: um, it was the week of the Super Bowl, and so I was leaving... My sister and brother-in-law had left and I spent a few minutes talking to Charlie about, you know, Hey, how are you? Just checking in. So on and so forth. I was no longer dating Jeff. But I wasn't, you know, wanting to be back in that road yet or at all. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he was like, you said we could still be friends. And I'm like, well, we are friends. You know, you, you live with my sister and brother-in-law. I'm here fairly often. He goes, well, why won't you come over on Sunday and watch the Super Bowl with me? And I'm like, well, thank you for the invite. But I don't really watch a Super Bowl except for the commercials. <laughs> I, don't, I don't follow football. And it's my only day off. I'm really looking forward to just being by myself at home and having sure, some time sure. to myself. And he was furious. And his home where he was living did not have a driveway, but it had an alley in the back of the house with a very, very small carport. So Mm -hmm. you'd have to walk from the house through his backyard out into the alleyway. And so that's where my car was parked. And when I had gotten there, so he, when we had broken up, he kept his word and and took my Yorkie from me because he Mm -hmm. paid for her. So Izzy was there. And when I got to the house, I picked her up and she instantly peed all over me. She was so excited. Yes. Charlie, wanting to prove how great he was, offered me some pants and a shirt and threw mine in the wash. And then I went to hang out with my sister until they left. And so then it was just the two of us. So she had also peed all over my coat. So I had his pants, his shirt and a jacket on and I was walking out to my car and he was very angry that I had said no to the Super Bowl and followed me out and blocked me from getting into my car. I was getting more and more nervous because this was his first display of really physical aggression aside from just, in his mind, comedic spanking. Yes. I said, I I would like to leave now. And he was like, not until you agree that you're going to come over on Sunday. And he was, his voice was getting louder and louder and he was starting to yell. I said, I'm not coming over on Sunday. I told you that. And he said, well, then I want my pants and my shirt and my jacket right now. And I said, okay, my clothes are in the washing machine. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't have any other clothes with me. And he's like, I don't care. Strip. And I said, it's February. We're in the snow in the middle of an alleyway. And he said, I don't care. You're not leaving with my stuff. And proceeded to prevent me from getting in my car unless I took everything off. And so I did. Mm. And he's like, and I want the key, the spare key to my house, which my sister had given me so that I could you know, be her spare key holder. I said, I I still need this to get in when she wants me to pick up. He's like, nope, I want the key back right now. It's my house, my rules. So I'm standing there in February in my underwear in the snow. And I took the key off my key ring and threw it. Because that's what I had always been told. If you're in danger, throw the key. So I threw the key. The other way. So he ran after the key and I got in my car and... At the time, I was living with my dad um, because he had forced me out of my second apartment, had made that impossible. So I was living with my dad, and I had to go home to my dad's house in my underwear and explain. And I was devastated and embarrassed and humiliated and terrified of what had just happened and how he had just acted. And he.
0: How did your dad handle that? Did your dad see you, or he just managed to slip in?
1: He did. And he was like, what, what? And I like dashed up, up the stairs. Cause you know, it's also your father. You don't want him to see you in your underwear. And I was sobbing and he came yeah. up there and he said, what happened? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it. Eventually I did tell him what had gone on. I told sure. I ended up telling him everything. Yeah. But that was just, a lot. That's just sort of a sure. window right. of what went on during that break. So that's where I get confused by my own actions. Like how did we get there? How do we go from there to getting married? Blows my mind.
0: But you know, it doesn't happen all at once.
1: No, it's, it's a slow burn, yeah.
0: It's a very slow quicksand, and then you're up to your neck. I'm curious when you said that he was mean to the dogs, what does mm. mean look like?
1: Well, when I moved to my dad's, I ended up, I had the mini schnauzer, dodger, and he was devastated to not have his his friend, Izzy, so I ended up getting another puppy and a little Chihuahua Yorkie mix named Kalikimaka. <laughs> And Kalikimaka. Uh, there we
0: go. In Hawaiian?
1: Merry Christmas. It was my mom's favorite Christmas song. Aww. And, oh,
0: uh, oh,
1: yes. Okay, I got Meili that. Kalikimaka, okay. yeah. But you must have had a nickname for the dog. So Melee for short. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, Melee. I was thinking that. Yeah, it would take a while. Sorry. Side tangent about puppies, apologize. apologize. Um, no, 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 no,
0: no, I asked you.
1: So we had the three total, and when I ended up going back to him, we had all three at his house. And he, especially the Yorkie, he would almost, like if she had an accident in the house, which she did a lot, he would almost dropkick her out the back door into the yard.
0: How do you almost dropkick kick?
1: He would throw her or kick her. Throw her out the door. Uh huh. Sometimes he would hold her because she was, you know, a little five to seven pound dog. He would hold her up in one hand and then spank her as hard as he could with the other hand, which you know could be back breaking for somebody. Yeah,
0: yeah, little bones, little dog. I
1: would, um, I would hide them, hide the dogs, if you know somebody had made a mess. It became habitual for the Yorkie to mess in the house because he wouldn't let them out. And so if I wasn't home to take care of them, they would mess on the floor because they didn't have anywhere else to go and he would punish them for it.
0: Yeah, they couldn't hold it forever. Yes. Yeah, that's
1: nice. nice. Skipping ahead to just tell you more about the dogs, I had to leave in secret. And I could only take the third dog with me because I had a home set up for the chihuahua. I didn't have a home set up for the other two. And I was going into a battered women's shelter and no dogs allowed. So he ended up keeping the other two. I was promised by friends that they, we would be able to get them out. And when we went through divorce proceedings, they're like, what's in his house is his. What's What you've taken is yours. And that's that. And I would beg him for the dogs. and He's like, you left. It's your fault. You know, they're mine now. I did not get to see them for six years because we've been divorced for six years. He contacted me one day to tell me that Izzy had died and that he was going to bury her in her backyard, in his backyard. And he and I did have a child, but uh, I would hear from my son, you know, the condition of the dogs and were they ever touched or played with and they were not. They were locked in the concrete laundry room. No windows, no lights, 24 hours a day. Oh, oh. I begged him to let me have her cremated and he relented, which was surprising, and gave her to me in a box, but followed me to the vet's office to control the narrative. Wouldn't let me open the box, but I did anyway. And she was, it was horrific. The condition of this dog was absolutely horrific. And she was partially decomposed because he had just left her there on the floor for several days. And the vets said it was the worst case of animal neglect they'd ever seen. And I Mm -hmm. said, he still has my other dog. What do I do? And they told me to call the police. I called everyone. They checked on him and they said, well, no, he's a really nice guy, you know, and he's very sorry. And it won't happen. We scared him straight, Um, but they did follow up and he hadn't changed anything. The dog was still locked up. They said, if you do not surrender him voluntarily, we will press criminal charges. So he surrendered him to avoid charges. I wasn't allowed to know anything about where he went, but I found out because I follow all the dog rescues because I love dogs. They posted his story on social media and that he had been adopted. I would have loved to have had him back, but I'm so grateful that he's out. Yes, of course. And was adopted by a 96 year old woman and her family. So,
0: but out of that cinder block prison. So, yeah. I'd like to thank my guests and my listening audience for their support. It is clear our listeners look for and play survivor episodes above all others. They get caught up between the forces of good and evil all the time pulling for the moment a victim becomes a survivor i am open to other victims and survivors who want to join with me on the when dating hurts podcast we can shine a bright light on the epidemic of dating and domestic violence we can improve lives and save some innocent people from a lifetime of broken dreams if you want to tell your victim or survivor story please contact me at Bill Mitchell at WendatingHerts.com. That's Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today, and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. O oh, O oh, O oh, O'Reilly Auto Parts.